the entire economy is kind of in this holding pattern and it's very indecisive. You know, the global markets are very indecisive. People are waiting to see what the deal with inflation is. They want to know what the Fed is up to. Um, Everyone's just very risk off in everything. And crypto is risk on. This is going to be a long grind uh, to take over the global financial system. So we're along for these bumpy ass rides. Welcome to the BitLift Podcast, where we don't just stack crypto, we use it. I'm Gerbs, founder of BitLift, and I've been using crypto every single day since 2013. Today, I'm just sort of freestyling on things I've noticed this past month, corners of the cryptoverse that I'm exploring, and how my strategy is evolving as I settle in to crypto winter. You can find links to all the projects I mentioned today at bitlift.com slash podcast. The hosts and guests of the BitLift podcast are not registered financial advisors. The thoughts and strategies discussed are simply personal opinions and should not be treated as financial advice or recommendation to make a particular investment. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. So we know tokens crashed and we know all these L1s and L2s and sidechains crashed. You know, we've always talked about how these are sort of thought of as angel investments as part of your portfolio. What, what allocation do you have towards angel investments? Um, these are the dApps and the tokens. But when you think about what actually, if you think about CFI versus DeFi during this last cycle, you know what else crashed? CFI crashed. You know, we've seen all these news from BlockFi, Celsius, Voyager, Vault, all these CFI institutions that are going belly up and they're freezing customers' funds or maybe they don't even have the funds to freeze anymore. And that's because they loaned them out, right? And in CFI, you know, there's a couple of groups of institutions within CFI. Last cycle, we had to be careful with CFI just because like the websites would go down under volume, like at the peaks of the markets and on those really bad days too. Like you couldn't log into your Coinbase account, which means you couldn't sell your Bitcoin. That was the problem then. Um, But now, you know, those, those guys actually held up well um, the exchanges held up well this cycle, but what crashed was the lenders. The BlockFi, Celsius's, Voyagers, those guys are lenders. They're lending out people's crypto. And when they lend out that crypto, a lot of times they lend them to these institutions that are just used, they're just borrowing to use it as leverage. So when the market crashes, everything that they were leveraged up in crashes and they can't pay back their loan. This is what happened with Three Arrows Capital. Um, you've probably heard about them in the news. You hear about 3AC sometimes. And, you know, they can't pay back any of these loans. And they got these loans from these big CFI institutions. They couldn't do it in DeFi because in DeFi, you have to be collateralized. You know, if you want to borrow a thousand bucks in DeFi land, you got to have $2,000 worth of collateral to back it. And if that collateral starts to go down in value, the smart contracts will sell and liquidate your collateral. So in DeFi, DeFi held up insanely well through this crash. And I think that's something a lot of people are going to remember going into the next cycle. You know, we always say, not your keys, not your crypto. And that is still true. It's very true. And in smart contracts and in DeFi land, I think, you know, it's still, it still is your keys in a lot of ways. You know, another thing I noticed was Nexo did really well. They're, the, they're one of these biggest CFI lenders. However, they did really well. They're sort of like this hybrid though in that they do lots of collateralized loans. 
and they 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 swear that they refuse to to lend to the institutions who don't provide enough collateral to back it. That's where the other guys went wrong. Nexo, I mean, I don't understand why Nexo even is a CFI. They might as well just build their whole thing on smart contracts and and go like kick back in the Bahamas somewhere because if if really all they're doing is fully collateralized loans and automated liquidations, why why is anyone even working there, man? That's just code. So they have a real-time audit that shows $4 billion of loans you know, and liabilities are taken out by their customers, but they have well over $4 billion worth of assets in their bank or in, you know, I don't know how they define assets. That's going to be the black box of Nexo. But technically, apparently, based on their real-time uh, attestation, uh, they're fully backed and they did really well. They even have been tweeting about how they want to buy BlockFi and Celsius and Voyager involved. They want to buy those guys that are going under. They want to buy their customers, buy their whatever collaterals left. Buy them just for the brand. Buy them because it's a fun marketing stunt. That's been fun to watch. You know, and I mentioned how there's different these different categories. You know, people are afraid now that they see what's happening with Celsius, and now they're afraid that Coinbase is going to, like, freeze withdrawals. And what people don't understand about Coinbase is, you know, for all the hate they get, Coinbase is not lending out anyone's crypto. In fact, you can even go into their help area. It says, there's a, there's like an FAQ that says, does Coinbase use customer deposits for anything? And their answer is, customer deposits are not sent anywhere. Unlike other financial institutions, we do not lend out customer funds. 100% of your funds are securely stored. That's really interesting. And I mean, it's something that some people understand, but everyone just groups these CFI guys together. And whether or not the funds are just being held or whether they're being loaned out is a huge, huge difference in the CFI game. So on to DeFi, you know, there's these borrowing dApps within the CFI land that do the same thing as Celsius, BlockFi, and these other guys, except it's just a smart contract base and it's fully automated and it happens, you know, on decentralized blockchains. And so like these things like Compound and Aave and MakerDAO, these are places where you can deposit collateral, borrow money against that collateral, and then do whatever you want with that borrowed money. And they held up insanely well. All of they're fully backed, fully collateralized, fully automated. And like they, there never even was a day when people were concerned about what could happen with these, with these systems. So that was really good to watch. And it's something I know people are going to remember in the next cycle. And when it comes to DeFi exchanges, you know, during the insane volatility, they recorded record fees. You know, obviously the token prices plummeted, the value of Curve token, the value of Uniswap, they've dumped because, you know, the TVL, the total value locked inside of these exchanges also plummeted, but they generated record fees for for LPs and for token holders. Um, I'm a big believer and user of Curve and it generates a lot of revenue and I stake a lot of CRV tokens there. When it comes to this revenue stuff, you know, you can use a, an app called like tokenterminal.com to see how much revenue different protocols are generating. And you can compare, you know, um, total value locked uh, using a site called DeFiLlama.com. You know, I really feel like DeFi just hasn't had its moment yet. Uh, we had DeFi Summer a couple years ago, which was like the kind of the, in, the launch off point, the creation point of the DeFi segment, the DeFi category as a whole. But we really haven't seen DeFi just crush, you know, 
even though you know curves and and some of these have gone up like five ten x like that's not crushing in terms of crypto land um and i think the reason is that DeFi is just very complicated right DeFi is like sophisticated financial trickery in a lot of ways it's the stuff that wall street has been doing for years decades and just being recreated as code and people just don't understand how to use it you know retail investors don't care retail investors just want you know they have they have smaller amounts of money that they're trying to 100 or 1000x into large amounts of money and big institutional money they don't play the same game and those are the guys that are going to be using defi the most and you know this was the institutional markets first foray into crypto this cycle was the first time and they're just getting started right like they just bought their first bitcoin this cycle like they have barely begun to scratch the surface of what crypto is capable of and DeFi is going to be next on the list for them as they start acquiring crypto assets as they want to start leveraging those crypto assets as they want to start automating more of their investment strategies DeFi is going to continue to boom and i really like DeFi as a segment it doesn't do quite as well when things are like thousand xing but I think that's okay. Like we're not always looking for thousand X's where I'm, I know I'm in this long term thinking about what segments and what categories in the cryptoverse are going to grow steadily over time. And DeFi is one of those for me. I'm going to continue, you know, investing, researching, frankly, understanding DeFi better every, a little bit every day. So the biggest stories this cycle were, you know, these L1s and these L2s and these side chains. We're talking things like Phantom and Cosmos and Avalanche and, you know, Solana. Um, these are like, they were trying to be alternative smart contract platforms. Alternatives to Ethereum is what I mean. When we're, when we're talking about alts in uh, L1 land, we're talking about alternatives to Ethereum. Because Ethereum really is, you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to smart contracts. You know, I crunched some numbers here just to see kind of how things held up during um, this this little crash we've been through. You know, Bitcoin's down 75% from its top, and that's the lowest of all the other cryptos. That's the lowest drop of them all, 75%, which is kind of amazing, right? You know, Ethereum, um, it dropped 82%, and then all of these other L1s, the things like the Phantom, Cosmos, Avalanche, they all dropped 90%. You know, I mentioned a couple months ago, even a few episodes back, that any alt, any altcoins that you hold that you wouldn't want to be buying right now, you should be dumping ASAP. And that's because this is what we see cycle after cycle is that Bitcoin and Ethereum hold up the best and then the alts just get, tank, they, they tank, man. And what's worse than, you know, the alt L1s is the tokens on the L, alt L1s. You know, those those really, those go to zero, literally. We've seen some of that. You know, that doesn't mean, though, that L1s and L2s, that doesn't mean that's the end of them. This is still the big question, right? Is like Ethereum is still trying to figure out scaling. And we have the merge coming up. It keeps getting postponed. Um, we have these other, like, these other technologies like optimistic rollups, um, things like Arbitrum and Optimism are using that technology. And like literally Ethereum core team and the Ethereum community is pushing its own users towards these optimistic rollup technologies. So, you know, whether Ethereum plus optimistic rollups um, becomes like the de facto everything chain of the or smart contract chain of the future, 
or whether some of these other L1s, things like a Phantom, for example, maybe Phantom can carve out and just be like the DeFi chain. You know, maybe maybe Avalanche will become the NFT chain. Um, I could see some of these guys specializing more and finding utility in that way. But it is starting to look like Ethereum just might be the place for all for all of crypto, for all of DeFi and uh, at least decentralized finance and decentralized usage of blockchains beyond using it for money, right? Uh, I mentioned Arbitrum and Optimism. These are this is something I need to honestly do a lot more research on and understand better how it is that these optimistic rollups work. But my understanding is that they just sort of they do lots of transactions on the side and then they peg into Ethereum on a regular basis. You know, Optimism already has a token by the way, which is OP. I have no idea how it you know, generates its value or what its purpose of its token is or whether we need it. But I know Arbitrum has a token on deck, or at least there's a lot of rumors that they've got a token on deck. Um, people say you should be using the Arbitrum bridge and playing around with Arbitrum dApps in order to make sure to get in on the, the potential Arbitrum airdrop that is likely coming. But yeah, understanding this better Placing some bets here is not a bad idea, especially at least it's just time right now to understand this stuff, right? Because like we said, the Avalanches and Solanas, these were the big 100Xers of the last cycle. So we're looking right now to place these bets. What are going to be those 100Xers of the next cycle? And that's one place to look for sure. You know, another thing I'm really you know reconsidering and re-strategizing on is my whole stablecoin farming strategy. You know, I was talking about it with my brother the other day, and he was mentioning, you know, chasing yields feels like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. And, you know, I do totally agree with him. But it's always made sense to me to have a component of my portfolio that's dedicated to income rather than just speculation and appreciation. You know, I have this concept of cash piles versus cash flows. A cash pile is just like a chunk of Bitcoin or a chunk of ETH sitting in your wallet. A cash flow is something that generates income. And there's something weird about when you have a big cash pile. It doesn't matter how big that pile is, you still want income in your life. Like you don't want to just be constantly plucking from your pile for the rest of your life, watching it dwindle. You want to keep replenishing it. In fact, better yet, you want your cash pile to just even sit there maybe appreciate at a very stable, slow, small rate, and then maybe you just can live on the cash flows. And that's what I was trying to do with my stablecoin farm. You know, obviously, I miscalculated the risk of stablecoins, right? Like, it, it made sense to me, I, and I understand, and I know there's so many different types of stablecoins, but I did get caught up in this idea of chasing these higher yields within stablecoins, and that did lead me to things like UST. It led me to things like Anchor Protocol, and these 20% yields are so juicy. Like, man, my income, my the income was flowing when I was using those, but I miscalculated the risk of the principle actually being stable, right? They got stablecoin in the name. We learned the, we learned the freaking hard way that these are not all stablecoins are created equal. Um, I never in a million years would have expected a stable coin to go to a penny or zero, but that's what we've seen. And so really reconsidering my stable coin farming, the reason I was doing it was to generate income. And that doesn't mean you can't still generate income within crypto, you know, using the snowball farming strategy that I talked about a few episodes back. 
um, that still works. And now I'm thinking more about maybe stablecoin farming is more about growing my Ethereum, growing my Bitcoin, growing the tokens within my wallet versus growing my stable coins and income that I'm going to use to spend. Maybe I should be looking outside of crypto even. Like one idea I definitely want to learn and explore more is, you know, carving off a chunk of my appreciation during each cycle to buy real estate that can generate income, diversifying a bit. And maybe income comes from outside sectors that maybe I don't know as much about now, but that's a place that I'm exploring more. It doesn't mean that stablecoin farming is gone or that it's not possible anymore. In fact, a lot of the same pools are still generating great yields, uh, even now at, the, at this quote-unquote maybe bottom of the market. You know, the sort of risk-free rate, the, the, the cheapest or the safest sort of stablecoin investment you can make um, has always been, I think, just compound, right? Like dropping USDC inside of the compound protocol um, has just been a very safe a safe haven for stablecoins. I think there's more stablecoins locked up in Compound than kind of anywhere else. And Compound, it, you know, it only pays 1% on your USDC if you've got it there. Interestingly enough, though, I was also just checking, you can borrow USDC for 0.22% right now. You know, that's so interesting that as TradFi rates are skyrocketing, as, you know, interest rates to to borrow, to, like if you're buying a home or uh, if you're or if you're just borrowing money for anything in the normal world today, those rates are skyrocketing five, six, ten percent. Crypto rates have fallen off a cliff. No one is borrowing in crypto. Number one, because you got to have the collateral to borrow against, which that all went to shit. But number two, it's just we're so risk off right now, and the reason people borrow in crypto is to invest in crypto, and we're all just kind of sitting around waiting to see what happens. So, man, can you borrow cheap uh, right now in the crypto land? The next safest place in stablecoin farming has always been the three pool. Um, right now, it's paying 1.1% or so. And the three pool is, you know, a pool inside of Curve. It's the combination of USDC, DAI, and Tether, which is USDT. And this has been one of the one of the biggest pools in all of crypto, one of the most heavily used and exchanged pools. And there's billions and billions of dollars just sitting in there. But, you know, even that's come under fire over the past few weeks, you know, once UST collapsed, um, there was more tether FUD, which we've seen come and go so many times over the years. Um, but the three pool, you know, it's supposed to be balanced, like 33% of each of the three stable coins in there. And that really, that broke down for a while there. Tether was like 80% of the freaking three pool. And that's bad news. That scared a lot of people. And I know a lot of money has moved out of the three pool because of that. The thing that really sucks about this is the three pool is used as what's called kind of like a meta pool with, within Curve. So other stable coins, things like Frax, things like MIM, uh, things like GUSD, which is gem, the Gemini dollar, um, all of those pools, they use the three pool. So they combine their token with the three pool instead of combining their token with a, an individual stable coin. So all of the stable coin pools within Curve have kind of been under fire because the three pools kind of been breaking down. Um, you know, there hasn't actually been, you know, Tether is fine as of right now. It's a buck. It had a moment where I think for like a few seconds, it was 95 cents. People were flipping out, especially because we just saw UST go through what it did. I think three pools coming back into balance. Right now, I think it's like 60% Tether and then 20% die, 20% USDC. Something really interesting I saw I've been watching Frax a bit. I know it's I, I know like jumping into Frax right now, which is another 
partially algorithmic stablecoin, right? Where US, UST was a fully algorithmic stablecoin. And, you know, jumping into something like that right now just seems absolutely ridiculous. But something interesting that they did during this is they created a new pool. Instead of the Frax 3 pool, they created the Frax USDC pool. And something we've definitely seen is the the market cap of USDC has just been skyrocketing during all of these collapses. USDC is really being used as a safe haven um, during this collapse. You know, it's very interesting to watch USDC. I mean, it even is for me. That's that's where I, I flipped everything in all my stable coins into USDC, everything that was left anyway. Um, and it's still sitting there as USDC. I know I can deposit it into Coinbase, one click into dollars back to my bank account. No other stable coin really has such that ease of use and that dependability that USDC has. So that's an, another interesting thing to watch. And I'm curious to see whether other tokens um, create pools on curve as well with with only USDC instead of three pool. So all this talk of three pool and stable coins and talking about curve, you know, curve really is a backbone of a lot of my farming operation. You know, curve generates real revenue. It's an exchange initially focused specifically on stable coin swaps, but it really has blossomed into kind of the exchange that most tokens um, focus on creating liquidity in. And you know, the mechanics of how the CRV token works, you know, it's a fairly complicated ecosystem, one that definitely takes time to research and understand. We did a deep dive in it here in episode 10 on the BitLift podcast. We did a deep dive into stablecoin farming using Curve. So I definitely check that out if you haven't. But something I've been doing for a long time, and I'm actually like leaning on it even more right now than I had before, is staking CRV tokens. Um, I use Convex to do it. Um, but CRV tokens, by staking them, not only can you earn higher yields as an LP, but you also earn the fees. The fees that could the Curve Exchange generates are paid out to people who stake CRV. And, you know, I was just looking just last month, I earned 37% APR on my CRV position based on only what I earned in the last month, in the month of June. So that's that's serious to me. And I think Curve is around for the long haul. It's definitely a cornerstone of DeFi right now. And, you know, that's where I do my swaps. I know they have a big new version of Curve that's going to be launching. I think you can check out like a, a preview of it at Curve.exchange. Um, Curve.fi is the main, you know, site. But Curve.exchange shows you a preview of what their new interface is going to look like. And I just really like the whole Curve ecosystem, man. I, like I mentioned, I use Convex to do it, which also pays me in CVX tokens. I stake those CVX tokens, which allows me to earn, get, be bribed and earn more income um, in bribes that I claim uh, every two weeks. And, you know, this is really, I'm looking at really buying more Curve and staking more Curve CRV tokens as, the, as winter sort of progresses. Um, it generates a ton of fees as volatility picks up. And I want to collect those fees, man. I mean, that's one thing we know about DeFi is to DeFi, you got to do swaps. And to swap, you got to pay fees. And those fees, I want those fees. So um, that's that's the way to do it. It's something I'm, I'm keen on uh, increasing during the winter. So that's it. You know, that's where my head's at right now. People have been asking me, like, what am I doing? What am I focused on? And, you know, I'm not making a lot of moves. I'm really not. Um, I'm keeping an eye. I'm researching. I'm, I'm learning. And, you know, the entire, the entire economy is kind of in this holding pattern right now. And we're all ever, it's very indecisive. You know, the global markets are very indecisive. 
People are waiting to see what the deal with inflation is. They want to know what the Fed is up to. Um, everyone's just very risk off in everything. And crypto is risk on. I mean, that's we've always known that. This is this is going to be a long grind uh, to take over the global financial system. So we're along for these bumpy-ass rides, and uh, they're going to keep being bumpy. You know, if you're truly orange-pilled, and you know if you've ex- really experienced the power of crypto and the crypto markets through this last cycle, like you know it's game on. The reason I'm I, like the people that are the most excited reaching out are people that saw like how freaking powerful crypto can be for the first time. And this is I've I've been seeing this for almost a decade now, and I just know it get, it gets more momentum and more chaotic every time we go through this, and more people come in, more people realize what's happening here and then you know they get scared when it falls apart and they think it's over but we know it's not over if you've if you've done it if you've seen it twice and you've seen it three times there's a pattern here and the pattern is this is we're slowly eating away at the traditional financial system and along the way we go through these booms and busts that's just the way it's going to happen right now you know full blown bust right and it's time to do our deep research and start placing bets on which crypto assets we think are going to replace, you know, governmently decreed money and which corners of the cryptoverse are going to consume Wall Street to create a more open, trusted, permissionless global financial system of the future. Be sure to hit up bitlift.com slash podcast for links to everything we discussed here today. And if you got any questions or comments, come find me on crypto Twitter and say what up. That's twitter.com slash bitlift, B-I-T-L-I-F-T. And if you're deep down the crypto rabbit hole, come hang out with myself and a few hundred crypto geeks in the BitLift Discord at bitlift.com slash discord to connect. The hosts and guests of the BitLift podcast are not registered financial advisors. The thoughts and strategies discussed are simply personal opinions and should not be treated as financial advice or recommendation to make a particular investment. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. 